0: Join the big show Friday from 3 to 6 at the Warehouse at 85 East University Parkway in Orm. Prices so low it'll blow your mind. Kurt Craigthorpe, Salt Lake Tribune, joining us, covering the University of Utah until the day after the Alamo Bowl and then hanging up the notepad. Kurt, good morning. Morning. Before we talk Utes, and I do want to talk Utes and Alamo Bowl, Have you thought about this or have you talked to people, you know, maybe somebody like Dick Rosetta, who you worked with for a long time, has been retired for a while? I'm assuming that when you retire, there's going to be, you know, a couple days after it feels like a weekend, a week after it feels like, you know, you've taken a vacation and you probably take seven or 10 day vacations, you know, throughout your career. At what point does it really feel like you're retired?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. First of all, I thought that my appearance on Talking Sports Sunday night would give me some job offers. <laughs> People learning that I'm a free agent. Uh, the phone has not been ringing, however. So I do intend to keep. keep holiday doing moratorium.
0: Holiday, holiday moratorium. Don't worry.
1: So you're saying that January 2nd I can be on alert? Exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm feeling better then. Yeah, I definitely need to do something. I'll be doing some stuff for uh, Utah Golf Association. Airways Magazine and various things like that, but yeah, uh, it it is interesting. I'm I, I'm I'm kind of all or getting a sense of what it's like for athletes to retire. That for 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 a couple of days, people tell you how great you were, and then they find out how replaceable you really are.
2: Okay, wait a second here, Kurt. So my appearance on Talking Sports, and then he follows it up, that you can find out how replaceable you really are. This is some serious undertones that you are aiming for my job on Sunday nights. Why don't you just come out and say it instead of beating around the bush here?
1: You're on to me. I do plan to spend the next 10 days just shouting into the mirror and, and seeing if I can uh, get to your level. <laughs>
2: That was awesome. Talking with passion. Don't confuse shouting with talking with passion. There's a big difference. Shouting in the mirror.
1: that, That proves that I do have a lot to learn. You're exactly right.
0: Shouting in the mirror and just fogging up the bathroom. That's awesome. All right, let's get to the Alamo Bowl right here. As you dig into this uh, deeper, I think we know a lot about the Utes, but Texas obviously in a different league, not uh, not playing out in this part of the country, not seeing them a lot. They're not an elite team. So as you dig into it, what do you learn about them that you didn't learn because you didn't watch them every week?
1: Yeah, I, I think it kind of confirms a lot of the impressions I have had throughout the year of them. it's it, Stereotyping as we do, it it just looks like a typical Big Twelve team to me, with, with a dynamic offense and a lousy defense. And now maybe the fact that the other Big Twelve offenses are very good accentuates that. But uh, the the fact that Texas fired its defensive coordinator creates an interesting variable in this game. And but yeah, I just I just think uh, as we talked about Sunday. Utah's going to have to score a lot of points to win this game, and it it should be fun.
2: What do you think the motivation level is? Because it seemed like in that second half in the Holiday Bowl, they kind of packed it in last year.
1: Yeah, that's always a question, and and the the three of us have talked about how uh, the Pac-12 championship game loser never has gone on to win the bowl game. But clearly, begin the holiday bowl that was not an issue for utah last year they were ahead 20 to 3 at halftime we were all composing these stories about how it fit right into the history of utah doing so well in bowl games so i don't know if they suddenly lost their motivation in the second half that was just a crazy sequence of events they turned the ball over on four consecutive possessions i think one was uh, a strip sack for a fumble that was returned 90 yards and that just Totally changed the game around, and uh, Utah couldn't quite recover. So it probably, again, was not a motivational issue, and I do think Utah will be motivated for this game. The question that I really have is, is how they can put together any kind of secondary that can deal with Texas' offense, though. So, I mean, you take away Jalen Johnson and Julian Blackman, Two of their five best players, and probably two of their three or four most important players. And uh, yeah, it, it, they're, they're destined to give up a lot of points, it sure seems like to me.
0: So, you know, that Kyle Whittingham has talked to the offensive coaches and coordinator Andy Ludwig and said, Hey, we need long ball players. We need a lot of ball control drives here, eat up time on the clock, put their offense on the sideline, don't let them establish a rhythm. That comes down to the question that, uh, is the offensive line going to be better than it was against Oregon in the Pac 12 title game? Because they couldn't run the ball and sustain drives. Are they going to be able to in this one and keep that uh, offense on the sideline for stretches so that, you know, 20 minutes of real time they're standing over there doing nothing?
1: Yeah, that is a big question. And, and certainly. One well, of my long held theories is football is not like golf, it's not just how you play. The other team has something to do with it and, and I I knew going into the offense title game that Oregon's defense was better than we might have been giving it credit for, particularly up front and and yeah, to your point, Utah's offensive line did not play well as was evidenced on the very first drive when they couldn't get third and one or fourth and one. That even was a bit of a season-long problem, as successful as they were offensively overall. So I think it is an important bounce-back game for that offensive line, and circling back to my original thought, the Texas defensive line won't be like Oregon's. They should be more successful, and I think that Zach Moss goes into this game with a legitimate chance to get the 161 yards he needs for the single-season rushing record, which is about the only one he doesn't own as he exits and so that that'll be a a fascinating part of that game clearly the two elements of utah's team that i'm looking at are the offensive line and the secondary in this game
2: this is an impossible question to answer but as you reflect upon 30 plus years what are some of the best memories you take from it
1: yeah I've been anticipating that question for several months, and I I don't have an easy answer to it as you would think I would. But I kind of think that my niche was kind of the offbeat kind of things. Like, for example, uh, the the Jazz gave me a parting gift. I I assume they're actually waving Jeff Green. And... uh, (laughs) He wore number twenty-two, and I was the curator of the curse of number twenty-two from these forty-one years of the jazz being in Utah, going back to players who have won that, worn that number, like John Drew and Gary Scurry and Curtis Forchard and <laughs> whose careers did not end well here. So uh, that's one more. But yeah, that's that's just a way of answering that question. I I kind of. I did myself on thinking of things that other people didn't think of. Now, sometimes I was too far off the track and uh, didn't do the, the stick to the stay inside the box uh, enough. But uh, stuff like that was always fun. And I think about like when Utah played in the Sugar Bowl against Alabama, I drove over from New Orleans to the town of Utah, Alabama. Spelled U-E-U-T-A-W and found the mayor and did a story on how, what people in Utah thought about the Utah playing the Crimson Tide. Stuff like that is what stands out more than the, the huge events. Maybe because I was a, the sports editor for a while and missed out on the NBA finals and the, and the final four and, and stuff like that. But, but, yeah, I, I had, I had fun, uh, as a conservative, of a and traditional and historian oriented as I am, I had fun doing some offbeat things.
0: Kirk Crackthorpe, Salt Lake Tribune, joining us. So PK was born for questions like this one, and I asked you this on Sunday night on Talking Sports, and you've got it. I want you to dig into it a little more here. BYU, Utah, and Utah State football programs during your life career, because your dad was coaching at BYU, so you were there before you started your 40 years of writing. So you've seen all three of these programs go from nothing to something, different levels, but they were all way down, and they all got way up. Which one was the most unlikely?
1: Yeah, I, I, as always happened, and, and this will be true even after this interview, Every, every time I'm I'm, I'm on, on TV with you or on the radio with you guys, I, I think about the 10 things I should or shouldn't have said after I hang out. But, but yeah, that, that was, that's a pretty provocative question. The one that I would eliminate first is Utah because people from Fred Whittingham senior to Ron McBride to, to others observers over the years have always said that Utah football was a sleeping giant and, uh, and when Kyle Whittingham had the choice between BYU and Utah for a head coaching job, he remembered what his late father had said about Utah being a potential gold mine. So, so I think that's the least surprising, just based on what people always thought Utah someday would be capable of. The BYU thing is is probably more underappreciated now that I look back on it. I mean, you think about the fact that. Before Lavelle Edwards took over, Utah's record against BYU was something like thirty-seven, five, and four. And then he did what he did. I mean, not just in the rivalry, but obviously in in building something of a national brand. So, so given the the fact that that, that all that happened basically forty years ago, t- kind of tends to devalue it, and. Uh, and there's a generation of BYU fans who think they've always been good, or or should always be good. And so, so the more I thought about that question, I, I, I'm tending to swing back to BYU. But the more recent phenomenon, and I actually, when I returned to writing after being the sports editor, I, I covered Utah State in the early 2000s. When I think I think one season was independent and one season was in the Sun Belt. And at that time, I just. Remember thinking this is just totally hopeless. They they can never uh, compete with with anybody, much less BYU and Utah. And for the and they kind of got a break in that, and they were able to get into the wax in, in those last couple of years when when Boise left and and they had a great opportunity and and had that great season in 2012. But, but again, I did not see that coming at all. I thought they should probably think about dropping down to the big sky, the FCS level, and, and do it that way. So for them to become a, a legitimate contender in the Mountain West is something I certainly never saw coming.
2: Now, you've survived and thrived, and you go out to a degree on top in the newspaper business. As you look ahead, what do you anticipate for the newspaper business?
1: Yeah, I'll speak to the overall thing. I just think it's it's harder for newspapers to have a distinguishable voice in the marketplace. Uh, even, even if you have a brand name like the Salt Lake Tribune, it's, it's still hard to... You rise above all the ways that there are to get information. So I, I do wonder about that. I do think the Salt Lake Tribune strategy of becoming a nonprofit organization is really clever and creative and, and has a chance to succeed and maybe help prop up the whole industry for a while. And I think about this, the young talent that's in that newsroom, not just in sports, but throughout. It's really remarkable the people that are still coming into the business without knowing what the future is going to look like. So I'm really hopeful for them. But it's always going to be difficult for newspapers to to have the niche they always enjoyed. And uh, in that sense, I'm, I'm lucky I've made it this long or was born when I did to have the opportunity to do it as long as I did.
0: So apparently you're going to go into retirement and try to get one of the toughest tickets there is. It's one thing, you know, I mean, the Lakers play 40 games a year, right? The Patriots play eight with playoff home games, usually nine or ten home games a year. But you're going to go to Germany to see a play that is produced once a decade for 350-plus years? That's That's got to be a tough ticket.
1: Yeah, l- luckily uh, they uh, it stretches over – Months and months, so they, they put it on every night. But, but yeah, it's it, it's a pretty expensive proposition. So, uh, so yeah, everyone expects me to, to jump on a cruise ship uh, January 2nd, but I still have to save up for that uh, Germany experience in July.
0: Well, good luck with retirement and all the traveling, and uh, hopefully we'll still stay in touch as you write uh, part-time and stay on the local sports scene. Thanks a lot, Kurt.
1: No, I appreciate you guys very much. Thank you, and Merry Christmas. Kurt Cragthorpe, Salt Lake Tribune.